This is a free download from Delancey Elam Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elam Church building at the Bank St. Sampson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. God testimonies about this subject, how it prized us, changed things. And sometimes it's good to hear a testimony, is that right? We can hear the world, which is awesome, we're going to look at in a moment. So it's good to hear something that kind of relates to that. So do you want to come and share a bit tonight? That would be fantastic. Thank you. I'm just feeling my age this morning because I want to tell you about, about 40 years ago. Um, Grew up in a, a family which was a growing family. We had greenhouses and then I had a vinery of my own. God blessed tremendously. God really blessed tremendously. And um, <clears throat> we decided to invest a lot of money and um, we decided to um, expand. And so we brought another vinery and it, it brought us up to quite a few thousand feet of glass. And everything was going very well. We were earning something like one and a half times what my bank manager was earning. So that would tell you the type of money we were doing. We had fantastic crops. God was really blessing. And um, we, with um, the, the bank was behind us, and put a lot of money behind us. And God just moved. And, and everywhere I, I went and, and whatever I touched, God seemed to bless. We had a youth group. I was leader of the youth group. There was something like every month people were getting saved and we grew to about 50 strong from virtually just a, just a handful of us. We grew to about 50 strong in about two or three years. God just blessed, God just moved. And all of a sudden, we saw the demise of the tomato industry, which you see derelict greenhouses around the island today still. And um, <clears throat> we lost in one year, now this is sort of in the days when what they say a pound was worth a pound, <clears throat> probably we lost uh, nearly £25,000 that year by trading. We had a bumper crop, a fantastic crop. It, 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 it exceeded all expectations and so did everybody else in Europe and so the price of, of fruit went straight down and, and we lost that amount of money. We went the following year and we lost a similar amount of money. We ended up, because we'd borrowed so much money to, to buy glass in the first place, we ended up with a six-figure sum in debt now, in those days, <clears throat> I suppose today, we're looking at at least 10 times, even with inflation, it would be 10 times. So you're talking about a seven-figure sum in debt in today's money. And um, we're just a little family business. And uh, to have that around your neck was quite something. Around that time, or just after that time, I was sent by the church to a music conference run, <coughs> run by Elam AOG. And they brought people in from all around the world, from America, from Australia, to teach us uh, praise and worship. And that impacted me so strongly. I've, right, right to this very day, I've never been the same because of that music conference. I was taught to thank God. As I said last week, I was taught to thank God, I was taught to praise God, and I was taught to worship Him. And um, we came back and we started thanking God and praising God and worshipping him. A lot of people, quite a few growers in this island committed suicide because of the way the industry went. We felt that, we, that, was, that was not an option, obviously. And, um, and God was, we didn't know how God was going to sort the situation out, but we gave it to him. A lot of my friends went bankrupt. Um, the, the bank pulled the plug on them. 
people that used to worship here. Um, one of my great friends, um, he, the bank pulled the plug on him as well. But the bank kept on going behind us. We had no collateral. We sold our house. We, we had nothing behind us. And yet the bank kept on following us and saying, yeah, keep going, keep going, keep going. And we'd take our, our spreadsheets in every, every month, uh, every, every year. And yeah, he said, keep going. And it looked terrible. <laughs> uh, and, and God just... just um, and we, sorry, we, we just went like that. And that was our situation. And yet we learned to praise. We started praising. Every morning we would get up and we would praise God. We would thank God. I must admit, I couldn't always thank God for the situation, but I thank God for, oh, I was in that situation that he was going to sort us out, just as we were saying before. And we thanked him for that, for, for what God was going to do. And gradually, 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 it didn't, didn't go overnight, but gradually, 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 over several years, God brought us through that and out of that. Um, in that time, uh, in that worship conference, um, we, we learnt all sorts of things. We learnt how to play. Well, I particularly learnt how to play when people were singing in the Spirit, how to move in the Spirit when you're, with your instrument. Uh, and and um, we learnt about the prophetic song of God. I was just thinking, Andy, um, back along, when you give a word of prophecy, I was in meetings there where people were actually singing those prophecy. So that's a nice challenge for you, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but it became a lifestyle of praise and we learnt right to this very day we learnt to have a lifestyle of praise and I'll fast forward to three weeks ago now, as you know Sue broke her hip my mother-in-law is 95 years old she's disabled she lives with us and on that Saturday three weeks ago Michael um, was rushed into hospital, into A&E with his kidney infection. My brother-in-law, who has leukaemia, um, his potassium levels went right down. He was rushed into hospital that same, about two hours after Michael, in, in, into A&E. My other son that lives here, he was, because I can't, I'm not able to drive at the moment because of, um, I fainted when I had an operation back along and they, 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 they won't let me drive until I've seen the cardiologist. Um, so I couldn't do anything so our other son that was here um, was running around after Michael and he quickly whizzed down um, and he was going down the Gibraltar the other night or that three weeks ago on that Saturday and a little boy ran out between two cars and he knocked him over um, he, he, they two have got uh, a girl just a bit older than him and another girl just a bit younger than him and it really hit him hard uh, and uh, um, well, no, it hit my son hard in that, that he knocked this little boy over. Uh, and that, that really caught him. And because of this, the, the things that were happening all that, that Saturday, and my mother-in-law, who uh, has got one good eye and one bad eye, <laughs> the good eye um, uh, had a, a blood vessel burst with the tension of what was going on and what was happening. And now, at, right up to this minute, she just sees blurred. She's just, her vision is blurred. So everything was going, and I thought, I've been here before. I've, I've been in this situation before where everything seemed to fall around my ears and, and fall down. And what did I do? I just praised. I just thanked God. I couldn't thank him for what was happening at a particular time, I must admit, but I just thanked him that there was a God in heaven that loves me and cares for me, died for me. Uh, and and I, I just wanted to, to, I just praised him. And I had a tremendous peace come into my life because I, I believe that 
I've learnt to live a lifestyle of praise. God has given me a tremendous peace with all that's gone through in this, uh, this time. Okay. If you do your Bibles, 1 Peter 2, verse 9. So we, we, we want to get this, this sense of the importance of, of worship. 1 Peter 2. I want to kind of, we're going to get there, so it's kind of going to be a bit of a journey, if you like. I want to get to the point where we get to the tabernacle of David, okay? But we're going to kind of, it's going to be a bit of a journey to get there before I kind of, we reach the tabernacle of David. But, uh, 1 Peter 2, verse 9, begin with. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priest of the holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Actually, someone's talking about singing prophecy. There is singing, there's also a joyful noise. I don't even know that one. Uh, Actually, just last week, I I was preaching in London, and somebody gave a prophecy right just before I preached. And literally, she preached, she actually, the prophecy was word for word what I was going to say. I mean, that's sort of, it leaves you a bit of awe when that kind of thing happens, but that was amazing. But anyway, next, uh, Acts chapter 15, verse 16. It says, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild, I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. So we're going to touch on the tabernacle, kind of. We're going to get there eventually. Notice what it says. It says you're you're priests. Now, the the main purpose of a priest is ministry to the Lord. I didn't realise that. That's, that's what a priest does. That was the main purpose of a priest, was to, was to minister to the Lord. And the Bible says that we are a royal priest, we are priests. So if you like, our primary purpose is worship and praise. Because it says we declare what, how God has delivered us out of darkness. That's an amazing... So as a priest, how many are priests... <laughs> Everyone's a preferred believer, you're a priest. So every priest is called to be a worshipper and praiser because that's what priests do. They minister to the Lord. Jesus in talking about worship. Remember the woman at Samaria? And she was asking the question about worship. Where do they worship? Should it be this mountain or in Jerusalem? Where should they worship? And Jesus says there's coming a time when people will worship in spirit and in truth. For such God seeks. And that's what I kind of love in some ways. We often lose sight of this. Because the Bible says that God looks for worshippers. You see, God doesn't necessarily look for worship. He looks for worshippers. Let me see the difference. That you can worship really, but not be a worshipper. And so God's not looking for necessarily for worship. He's looking for what? Worshippers. And so Jesus says that when you worship, you worship 
in spirit and in truth. So unless there's that combination of, of, the, of those two things coming together, then what we do isn't true worship, because worship has to be in what? Spirit and in truth. Now think, what does it mean to be, firstly, what does it mean to be in spirit? What does that mean to, to be in spirit? It didn't say you worship in, in, in your soul and truth. It says spirit and truth. You know what your soul is? Think about it. Your soul is your mind. Well, some of us do, isn't it? Our minds, <laughs> our emotions, and our will. And there's the problem. Sometimes in worship, instead of being in the spirit, we can get into the flesh, or we can get into, into the soulish realm. In other words, that we only worship because we, because we don't feel like it, and we only worship when we feel like doing it. And that's soul worship, because you're only doing it based on how you feel. How many can see that? It's not, it's not soul and truth, it's spirit and truth. And so often that we worship because we... And because we say, well, I don't feel like worshipping, so I wouldn't be sincere. I wouldn't be right because I don't feel like doing it. I've got to be true to my feelings. That's worship in soul and spirit, not spirit and truth. What's the biggest hindrance to worship? Shall I tell you what the biggest hindrance to worship is? It's flesh. It's often based in our worship on how we feel, on how our circumstances are. Always another one, we become very self-conscious. We're very conscious of how people look on us. And so we often think, I could never worship, I could never do that, because what will people think? Now, when you are filled with the Spirit, you tend not to be bothered what other people think about you. Isn't that amazing? You lose that kind of self-consciousness. I've seen some of the most shyest people on the face of the planet. When they worship, they just, they lose it. Because they are in the Spirit, and the Spirit empowers them to worship. And so to truly worship, I've got to make sure I'm submitted to the Spirit. I've got to make sure the Spirit is controlling me, because unless it comes from the Spirit, then my worship isn't honouring to God. It has to be in the Spirit. It has to be, I need to submit to the Spirit. And the Spirit is a Spirit of worship. I tell you one thing the Spirit will always do, it will lead you to worship because that's what the Holy Spirit does. Because the Spirit comes to what? To glorify Jesus. How do you glorify Jesus? By worshipping Him. And so it's in the Spirit, but also it's in truth. We worship in spirit and in truth. That word truth in the Greek actually means nothing hidden. In other words, there's the thing sometimes that I can worship, but outwardly it can look good. But if there are things in my heart... if if I'm not living the life, if you like, if my life doesn't match my character, if, if my worship doesn't match my true character, if my life doesn't match what the Word of God tells me I should be like, in other words, I can't kind of, for six days of the week, I have nothing to do with God, live totally to the way the Bible tells me to live, then on Sunday, Sunday switch on my worship. If there's hidden things in my heart, things I've not resolved, things I've not dealt with, it will always hinder my Worship, because worship is in spirit and in what? Truth. That's why it's so important that we get, we deal with everything. Any issue, anything in our lives that we know that we've messed up or we've failed, we get it dealt with. Why? Because it brings us into a place of spirit and truth. For such pleases and honours God. Can you say amen? In spirit and in worship.
Okay, Psalm 100. Psalm 100, verse 4. Again, a kind of well-known, well-known verse. Psalm 100 and verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and to his courts. Sorry, I was courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Here's the point. Notice it begins with thanksgiving. You can't really worship with a complaining heart. I'm going to realize that. That worship begins with thanksgiving. Notice it's, it's, at, the, it's at the gate. That's where the praise, that's where the thanksgiving is. Even before you get into the gate, before you even get into the house, because the gate surrounding the tabernacle, the Bible says we come with thanksgiving. That's a powerful truth. I can't really worship until I have an attitude and a heart of thanksgiving. I thank God for what he does. Thanksgiving is a response to God's actions where praise is a response to God's character. In other words, if my songs don't come from a grateful, thankful heart, then it's not worship. In order for me to kind of get through the gates, to get into the presence, I have to be thankful. If I've not been thankful, then I've not worshipped. In other words, thankfulness comes when I'm reminded of all the things that God has done in my life. And there's the thing, as I begin to remind myself what God has done into my life, it brings praise because praise is thanking God or praising him for who he is, for his attributes. And you'll find this, that when you trace what God does, you'll discover something of God's character. Isn't that right? You, you, you thank him for his action and the action of what God does will lead something to some attribute of his character. When Moses met God in the burning bush, remember that? And God said, I want you to go back to Egypt and tell my people, that, 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 that tell Pharaoh to set my people free. Remember that? And he says, God, who shall I say sent me? Because I can't really say the burning bush sent me. Is that right? You know, you know, a burning bush sent me to tell you, set my people free. It would kind of seem a little bit strange. Uh, and so God said, which I'm not sure was even that much better, but he said to him, Tell them, I am who I am sent me. And you think about it. God could have used... He's got, God has got hundreds of names. He could have used any name. But he says, tell them, I am who I am has sent me. Why did God do that? Because every action comes from his person. It's not just what I do, but who I am. In other words, God says what I do will always correspond to who I am. My action corresponds to who I am. So almost, as you begin to praise, as you begin to thank him for what he does, then you keep going and recognise that what he does is because of who he is. And out of who he is, you begin then to praise him. For example, you thank him for his provision 
And as you trace that through, you begin to thank him because he's a provider. You get some area of deliverance and you praise him for his, you thank him for his deliverance, but as you trace that through, you discover he's a deliverer. Is that a word, don't deliver her? God, you thank him for your healing, but when you trace that through, you realise that God is a healer. You begin to say, Lord, thank you. Why did you do that for? Why did you do that particular amazing thing in my life? And I trace that through and I suddenly realise, God, you did it because you're a God of love. Or I trace it through and say, God, you did that because simply because you are good. So, the actions that God does in your life are all about God revealing something of who he is to you. And if we lose that thankfulness, then we lose sight of something of who God is. We lose something of his attributes. And God wants to, above all else, he wants you to get to know him in greater ways. Is that right? And so by thankfulness, I begin to learn something of who God is. I learn how loving he is. I learn how merciful he is. I learn how good he is. I learn how great he is. I say, God, I realise what you did, nobody else on the face of the earth could ever do that. And when I trace that back, it reminds me to realise how great you really are. And so each time God does an action in your life, you enter his court with thanksgiving, and then you come into praise, and out of praise, something of who God is, is revealed to your heart. Can you say amen? Now, the next thing about praise is this. I'm sure you've discovered this truth. I think Nigel was talking about this. How many have found that praise is a sacrifice? Hebrews 13. There's something awesomely powerful about this picture of the sacrifice of praise. Hebrews 13 and verse 15. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. In other words, I think sometimes... Praise will cost you something because sacrifice is costly. If it's not costly, then it's not a sacrifice. If I got a million pounds, if you gave me a million pounds, if you gave me a million pounds and I I was, yeah, that's wonderful, that's amazing, that's not really a sacrifice because I really feel like being grateful and appreciating, is that right? Oh, but when everything else is kind of falling apart in my life, but I still make a quality decision to praise, that is a sacrifice. I wonder Dave and Joey, just, you guys come here and say that. I just want to do something because... I want you to do something because... I'll borrow a chair. Can I borrow a chair? Yeah. Uh, now, just thought about this. I don't know where it's going to go. You know, this, I, want, I want to picture this as the, this is the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant is where the presence of God was, okay? Now, above that Ark, there was this mercy seat, but also they, they did this cherubim. So, Joe, why don't you stretch your hands there? Oh, go on, go and touch hands together. Come on, stretch out like that. And they, I, only see the, I, know, I know this is very hard to believe, but why don't we just picture these two as angels? I know that's amazing. I know that's, that's like, you know, and the, the cherubim. Now, what they used to do, these are wings, okay? And what they would do, so you can turn that way, they would beat the wings so they would be like that. 
And so they would beat the wings so they were able to touch. And they would touch over the Prince of God. So here's, the, here's the, the Ark of the Covenant where the Prince of God rested. The mercy seat was there. And over that, if you like, were these beaten cherubim facing right there over the presence. Okay, thank you guys. I say that because this, because it was beaten gold that really surrounded where the glory of God was. And I think sometimes there can be things in our life that hit us like hammer blows, that hit our lives, that hurt us, that smash us, that seem to break us down. But I found this. If we learn to respond to that situation with praise and worship, something of God's glory will touch that situation. Something of God's presence will be released. Because the Bible says this, that he actually is enthroned on the praise of his people. So every time, with tears streaming down my face, pain in my heart, everything falling apart in my life, that I make a quality decision that I am going to offer a sacrifice of praise. And even though I'm being beaten, something of the glory of God will come into that situation and here's the amazing thing I found. That when the presence of God comes into that, it transforms things. The first thing it will transform is you. You will be transformed right there. Certain things in you will be changed and transformed by that presence of God that you've invited in through your praise and worship. Your circumstances begin to alter and change. How many have discovered that complaining and moaning doesn't really change very much? How many have found that? But how many have found that praise and making a decision to offer a sacrifice of praise changes everything. And there's something else. It will cause you to grow and deepen your walk with God than any other time. I don't make you, but some of the most heartbreaking times of my life through praise have been the times where I've grown the most. Those have been the times where my walk with God has deepened. Believe it or not, that's where my faith has been stretched. That's where my faith has been developed. My faith is very rarely developed on the high mountains. It's often developed right there in the struggles. But having an attitude of a sacrifice of praise is where God comes and transforms you. Say amen. Now, give me to, to Acts again. Let's look back to this. I better put that seat back. Just put the tabernacle back a second. <laughs> Okay, Acts, Acts chapter, go back to Acts there. I want to give you this picture of, 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 of the tabernacle of David. He said that in, in Acts 15, he says, I will restore the tabernacle of David. I never thought about that. Acts 15 is really, a, the background of it is where the church met together because there were so many Gentiles being saved, they didn't know how to, quite how to deal with it. Did they allow the Gentiles, when they got saved, to come back under, under Jewish law? Or what did they do? And there's a big debate over this. And you'll see as, the, as they realised that one of the things was they were, they, they, they were not, they, the Gentiles did not have to any longer come under Jewish law. That was the basic outcome of it. And part of the re- re- reaction to that, part of the, James has a word from Amos, he says, in fulfilment of this, God in these last days will restore the tabernacle of David. And think about it. He didn't say he'll restore what? There's two, two houses. He didn't say, first of all, I'll restore the tabernacle of Moses. 
He never even said he'll restore the, te- the, 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 the house, of the temple of Solomon. When you study the temple of Solomon, you know how amazing that, that place was? In today's equivalent money, it would have cost two billion pounds to build that temple. That's how amazing that place was. So God didn't say, I'm going to restore the temple of Solomon. He said, I'm going to restore the tabernacle of David. Why the tabernacle of David? So I tell you why. Because the tabernacle of David was 24 hour, seven days a week, worship, praise and prayer. That's what it was. 24 hours worship. Isn't that awesome? And God says, I'm going to restore back the place of worship. Isn't that awesome? That's what I'm going to do. Because Jew, Gentile, all going to come together and in that place, they're going to worship me. Now, it's not about rebuilding the actual physical tabernacle of David. It's about the spirit of the tabernacle of David, which was a place of continual worship and praise to God. I looked at some of the amazing things of that, about the tabernacle of David. You know, as you look through David's life, he spent his life seeking God of how to express on earth the worship in heaven. That's what he spent his life doing, basically. And I just studied the tabernacle of David. Listen to this. There were 4,000 musicians, 288 singers, 4,000 gatekeepers. When you put that together, there were 10,000 full-time people Right there, 24-7, worshipping God. Isn't that awesome? And he says, this tabernacle will be a result. And through this worship, people will be drawn. Gentiles will come through the power of worship. Let me show you a scripture. Or two scriptures, really. Isaiah 62. How many want to be a worshipper? Say, God... I want to be the spirit of David. Isaiah 62. Verse 10. Go through the gates, go through the gates. Prepare the way for the people. Build up, build up the highway. Take out the stones. Lift up a banner for the peoples. Then if you want to go to Isaiah 60, verse 18. Violence shall no longer be heard in your land, neither wasting nor destruction within your borders. But you shall call your war, your war salvation and your gates praise. I love it. You know, one thing I found, we often get this idea that often unbelievers are put off by exuberant worship. You know, the opposite is true. I think people are drawn to exuberant worship. It doesn't put people off, that's what I'm saying. People are not put off by exuberant worship. In fact, they're put off by dead worship. Is that right? People are drawn to exuberant, true praise in spirit and truth. It says that, that the stones will be removed. How really do we remove the obstacles? You think of the people right now that you might be trying to reach for Christ. Think of the obstacles, think of the wars, think of the things that are there. I honestly believe with all my heart, worship begins to remove the obstacles. It changes the atmosphere over someone's life. It changes the obstacles, the wars that keep them back from Christ. 
I found as you begin to worship, as you begin to praise, even those people that seem so far from Christ are beginning to be affected, are beginning to be changed. The barriers, the walls, the obstacles, all that resistance in their heart begins to be broken through praise and worship. I found that time and time again, that through the power of praise and worship, the blindness that's often people's eyes begins to be lifted. They don't even know why it's gone. They don't even know why they're thinking and, and, and seeing things in a, diff, a totally different light. It's because the veil, the blindness that's over their eyes is being lifted through the power of praise and worship. Remove the stones. Remove the barriers. Remove the walls. And I believe with all my heart, praise and worship does that. Can you say amen? That will come. We see it more and more and more. Okay, 2 Samuel. So I think when you worship, something happens in the heavenlies. How many believe that? I really believe that with all my heart. That when you worship, something happens in the heavenlies. I believe the powers of darkness are destroyed. I believe angels are dispatched. Supernatural things are revealed. Let me just say one very quick question. As you look at that, I believe music often is, is, is a vehicle that attracts spirits. Both good and bad. Ever had that? I think some music can put a darkness over people. I really honestly, it's like a darkness that kind of comes over. Something about the music kind of puts a darkness over people. How much more can praise put incredible joy and strength into our hearts? You say, Amen. Anyway, 2 Samuel chapter 6, because what more I can say now, but 2 Samuel chapter I mean, really, everything's a battle about worship. Who are you going to worship? Ever thought that? The first temptation that Satan brought to Jesus was worship me. Remember that? So really, everything really ultimately is a battle about worship. We're told that Lucifer actually was the chief, chief musician right there in heaven before he fell. Is that right? They say that even mu- musical instruments came out of his being. He knows the power of worship. And the greatest battle often is worship. Often in churches, the greatest battle is worship. In your individual life, the greatest battle will be worship. Who will you worship? And so the enemy will fight worship. Because he knows the power of it. Because he was up there and he realises how powerful there is. So we want to be a people of worship, is that right? Here's an interesting situation. 2 Samuel chapter 6. It's a well-known story where David... On, on his first attempt was bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem, back into the tabernacle that he had built. In 2 Samuel 6, we see the, the beginnings of this. In 2 Samuel chapter 6. And David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Basel, Judah, to bring up the ark of God, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out to the house of Abaniah, which was on the hill. And Uzziah and Huah, the sons of Abaniah, drove the new cart. And they brought it out to the house of Abaniah, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahihu went before the ark, then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments. Fir woods, on harps, on string instruments, on tambourines, on cistrums and on cymbals. 
And when they came to Nathan's threshing floor, Uzziah put his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. The anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzziah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there before the ark of God. Two things about that. It's a kind of interesting story, really. I want to see the other things. Let me just bring two things particularly. The first thing was this. He touched the ark. In other words, what he was trying to do, he was trying to control it. He was trying to control it, trying to hold her in place. One thing about worship is this. Worship is not about controlling God. It's about losing control. I think sometimes in worship, we, we, we want to kind of control. We, we don't want to go against a certain level, a certain way. And we want to often do things that are within our power. I think about, one thing about worship is this. Sometimes you grow in worship by doing things that sometimes are uncomfortable. I remember the first time I ever raised my hands. I only remember that time. So if, I think someone must have put attached weights to my hands somehow. I felt so uncomfortable. Partly because there weren't that many other people doing it. And I just felt, and yet it's like this, uh, I think I was doing weight training. It was like this, and suddenly, and then for about whatever it was, five or ten minutes, it was like, everybody's looking at me. I kind of felt every eye staring at the back of my head. And it was a kind of a moment of feeling very uncomfortable. But the great thing was, there came something in me that I'd began to lose control. I'd, I'd submitted to God and I'd taken control off me. And part of worship is saying, God, I give you control. I've been trying to control my situations, my circumstances. I've been trying to control all this in the time. But now I'm... I'm losing control of it and I'm giving that all to you in worship. Believing that you can deal with it. Bringing that you can bring it to pass. Second thing was this. Uzziah, you know who he was? He was the son of Abadah. Who was he? He was the one who the Ark with the Covenant was there 40 years. And that was his son. In other words, he had become very familiar with the presence of God. And I believe he'd lost the sense of awe and wonder of God. It's so easy, isn't it, that we lose our sense of awe and wonder. What is worship, really? One of the definitions of worship is to bow down. And the moment we lose our sense of awe, that wow factor about God, God, you're you're awesome, you're amazing, and you lose your sense of awe. When you lose your sense of awe, you lose your sense of the fear of God. What is the fear of God? It's the awe of God. It's an awe of who he is. Worship, you find often, is very much connected to God's holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That sense, God, you are so holy, you are so awesome, you are so other above anything we know. And the moment you lose that sense of awe and wonder, worship will always go down. And here's the point. When your worship goes down, I found this, that when you lose your sense of the fear of God and the wonder of God and the awe of God, character follows sweet. That we begin maybe to think we can do what we want to do and we lose that sense of God's holiness and respect for God. But out of worship becomes a sense of his holiness and awesomeness. And almost your character and your lifestyle will follow after your awe and wonder of God. Can you say amen? Now let me close this. Let me just bring this down. Go with me to, to Chronicles. Here's the... If you like, here is a kind of follow-on from that story. 1 Chronicles 15. If you like, this is the kind of explaining what took place. 
I haven't got time to go into all of it, but let me just bring out just two things, really. 1 Chronicles 15. Thirteen to fifteen. Now, why did how did it all go wrong? Really, it went wrong to begin with because they should never have put the Ark of the Covenant on a cart. Because the scriptures clearly show it should have always been placed on the shoulders of the priest, and they put it on a cart, which was which was basically against the word of God. Let me just let me explain this, what it says here in verse 13. For because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the God of Israel. And the children of the Levites bore the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders by the poles. As Moses had commanded according, notice this, to the word of the Lord. They didn't do it according to the word of the Lord and because of that, we see what followed. Worship really and praise has to be according to the word of the Lord, not to the way I think it should be. You know, it's not what I think's good for me. Imagine if I was to say to Angie, you know what, for your, for your Christmas, if I bought her a Birmingham city top for a Christmas, and she'd go, well, I know you like that, but I don't like that very much. Or she bought me a cookery book for Christmas. You know, you know. Well, she may like that, but I don't kind of like that. And often we think that's with God. Well, I like it, so God must like it. But it's not about what I like. Ultimately, it's about what he likes. And Scripture tells us how to praise. Do you know something? And I believe in singing wholeheartedly. But do you know what? Shouting is mentioned three more times than singing. <laughs> but in our culture, we're so more accustomed to singing. If you go to a football match, they shout, don't they, Laurie? Yeah, yeah. They don't sing, oh, you know, come on, come on, Guernsey, come on, Guernsey, come on, Guernsey. They're shouting and they're enthusiastic about it. That's, that's also in worship. I found this power when we shout the praises of God. If you go to Africa, that right, guys? They shout the praise of God there. It's not like, they, they shout, they shout forth, burst forth praise, amazing. So we sing, we shout, the Bible speaks about lifting our holy hands, the Bible speaks about dancing, the Bible speaks about all kinds of ways we worship. I remember, I remember, this came to me, remember a few years ago, I probably about, it was about six years ago now, Suddenly, I don't, think I, even, I don't think we even planned it. People started to run around the church. I remember that. Do you remember that? And everybody's running around the church. We had this circle and everybody was running. Now, that doesn't mean we do that every single week. That was just for that moment in time. But the point was, that was an expression at that point in time of worship. Because the Bible doesn't only speak about how you outwardly worship. It speaks also about the attitude of heart. It speaks about having a sense of awe, a sense of joy. You worship with joy and thankfulness. And, and all the attitudes of heart are so important. The other thing I love to do, and I think this is great, you want to worship with the Scriptures. Now, as I said before, you may not have the greatest voice in the world, but sing the Scriptures. Sing the Psalms. 
Just to you, maybe. But, 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 but sing the songs. Sing revelations. Sing the, sing, the, sing the word. Begin to worship God with the word. It's according to the scriptures, and you'll see amazing release. Let me just close with this. Go down in that chapter, the verse 28. So verse 29 of 1 Chronicles 15. It says, And it happened as the Ark of the Covenant of God came to the city of David that Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through the window and saw King David whirling and playing music. And the Bible says, And she despised him in her heart. If you read it through in in another, I think it's again, you read it through another scripture, it says that she, 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 she mocked him. You know, oh, didn't the king look... Um, didn't the king, didn't the king d- d- be stupid before the people today? Didn't you, act your, didn't you act so stupid and make yourself look so silly doing that? And, and he goes on to add this in that particular other scripture. says, and from that day forth, she became barren. And that's a powerful truth because there's the, the opposite of that. Worship creates fruitfulness. Worship brings fruitfulness in life. Because... What is worship when you think about it? One of the words for worship is the word to kiss. It means to kiss. And worship is all about intimacy. Worship is, is, is you being intimate with God. I think that's one of the reasons why the Bible says that God looks for those who worship. Why? Because God desires intimacy with you and he wants intimacy with me. And worship is one of the ways we get intimate with God. We tell him how much we love him. We tell him how awesome and how amazing. You you begin to tell him who he really is and how amazed you are by him. And it's an intimate time with God. And now that intimacy, something is birthed in you. Fruit in your life is born. Through the power of worship. Romans 12 says this. Therefore, brethren, I appeal to you by the mercies of God that you present yourself holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Why is worship ultimately? It's where I give myself to God. In fact, everything becomes an act of worship. My work actually can become an act of worship. What I do in, in my home actually is still an act of worship. I use every part of my being as an act of worship. Our giving is an act of worship. I present myself saying, God, here I am, use me. And actually, that is your act of worship. You're saying, God, I'm presenting myself to you. And God says, that's amazing. That's an amazing act of worship. Because your altar then is where the fire of God comes. So that's what God says. In this day, I'm looking for those who worship me. And worshippers are going to see incredible benefits in every dimension, in every part of their life. Shall I just come with some Let's just spend a time, I know time goes, but let's just worship the Lord for a time today. I think worship really is, is all about being caught up with Jesus, being overwhelmed with his beauty, amazed by his grace, awesome adoration in your heart to him. And you just want to worship him. 
I just spend these moments at this stage of God, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna worship you today. Let's just stand really for a few. Let's just worship you in these moments. Whatever your situation is, let's just worship him. Let's truly worship him this morning. Offer him our worship. Oh Lord, I worship you. I bless you. I praise you. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Elam Church. For more downloads, information, or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceelam.co.uk.